Hello and uh, welcome. I am in conversation with uh, one of the foremost intellectuals, scholars and uh, in fact one of the path breakers in uh, what can be called uh, the resurgence of uh, or the intellectual resurgence of uh, Sanatana Dharma after India attained independence and more so uh, during the decades of the 1990s. Uh, it's my great honor, a privilege and a great pleasure uh, to be in conversation with Sri David Frawley or Pandit Vamadeva Shastri. Welcome to this conversation. So the topic of uh, our discussion is uh, uh, Sri David Frawley's new book or rather uh, updated edition of his uh, old book titled Arise Arjuna, Hinduism Resurgent in a New Century. So this uh, book is a revised edition of uh, his same his earlier book by the same name. It's uh, vastly expanded with uh, and covering new topics uh, with the passage of time. And uh, I have also had the fortune of uh, writing a preface to it to uh, forward to it. So before we begin, uh, congratulations, uh, Vamadeva ji, uh, your initial thoughts on why you felt the need to write a revised edition. Yes, thank you, Sandeep. Yes, because this, these issues continue over time. The book was originally written in the 90s. I think it might have come out in 1995. But we've seen that there's been a Hindu awakening since then. At the same time, we're reaching the kind of the, the main point of transformation or the main point of crisis, you know, 2019. So this movement has come forth, but now the question is, can it come into resurgence and dominance and fully express itself? And my feeling is that it can, but it needs a new effort, a new inspiration, new motivation, and we need this new generation to take up this cause of Hindu or Bharatiya resurgence. It is happening to some degree, but it needs to be pushed forward because there are so many inimical forces also working against it. So, uh, you have covered quite a ground in your uh, opening remarks. So, I'll pick up a couple of uh, points from that. Uh, is it a correct uh, characterization uh, if I say that uh, Arise Arjuna, Hinduism resurgent in the new century, would I be correct if I describe it as a plea and a call to action and a sort of weapon, intellectual weapon, to counter the forces that you just mentioned. Yes, uh, absolutely. Because today our Kurukshetra is in the information media, the new technology, politics, diplomacy, education, media. It's not always so much the old uh, battlefield type war, but there is a definite clash not only of civilization but of values of spiritual forces and in this regard India holds that spiritual force of humanity that yogic power that Vedantic Vidya that needs to be preserved and also expanded for a new century a new millennium and for the planet as a whole. So uh, as a personal uh, confession of regard and respect Arise Arjuna has been uh, one of the prime books in 
my own intellectual and you know uh, scholarly evolution apart from other great publications from voice of india uh, it could be sitaram goel's books or ram swarup's books and even conrad's books so it it actually belongs in a totally different league and you are an american yes who has become a hindu yes and every day around me since the whatever my adult age i see a lot of people who want to indians who want to become americans what explains well we've always seen this wave in since the colonial era of people in india and particularly under the british influence wanting to become more western and even today hindus sometimes even traditional hindus influenced by the western culture to some extent westernism has also become associated with being modern being scientific and people have confused this type of intellectual growth scientific growth with a kind of cultural or even religious change as well and that is what we have to understand and guard against there are things of value in the western culture in terms of science technology organization administration but that doesn't mean the western model of civilization is preferable is truthful or even that science has the ultimate truth as to the reality of who we are so the indian mind and hindus in general have to recognize that there is also a deeper tradition in india dharmic tradition knowledge of consciousness knowledge of the universe at another level and simply to imitate the west you lose your own deeper heritage and you may not pick up the best in the west you may also pick up some of the worst right so you have a chapter in your book that says uh, the crisis of the hindu psyche yes uh what is it well the basic crisis in the hindu psyche is that it's alienated from itself it's been, it's taken in all the negative criticisms and all the wrong perceptions of india and hindu dharma and then it has two things that it can do one it can change and, and embrace then the western philosophy ideology politics marxism or it can become very apologetic and withdrawn and hidden and continue with these practices of hindu dharma but not share them and not be proud of them so it's important that hindus realize that there is also an expansive alternative which is to return to the core inspiration as we had in gita mahabharat and bringing out the deeper tradition and teaching and not looking at the hindu dharma by alien eyes wrong values wrong terminology but using it as a force of raising consciousness and bringing a greater spirituality and harmony into the world as a whole so the other chapter which is also roughly uh, around the time when um, i discovered your writing uh, in this book in arise arjuna relates to uh, an analysis of sorts uh, on the ram janmabhoomi and the ayodhya issue so i will ask you a very direct question had the ram janmabhoomi movement begun today today as in this millennium let's say after 2004 or 2010 or 2014 would you think do you think that it would have met with the same success in mobilization uh i would say that probably not mm-hmm. 
I think the Ram, Ram Janma Bhumi movement started at the appropriate time. Okay. In fact, it actually began in 1947. It actually began before that. Before that. It, be, it became more articulate, mm -hmm. of course, with the Babri Masjid. It reaches the, reached a place of uh, crisis and change. And then it's remained behind the scenes, but it's remained as a certain aspect of inspiration and power. If that had happened today, well, first of all, uh, if it had happened today as a political movement, mm -hmm. I think it would have had some strength. Okay. But I don't think it would have had the deeper connection with the people if it had not already come in the previous generation. So essentially, uh, you're seeing is that we've moved on from 90s. There's been at least at least one and a half generations, which is what would prevent that kind of a response that we received in the 90s. Is that correct? Um, well, also, there, India is developing its more positive identity. Mm, right. The Hindus have a more positive image and identity, even throughout the world, with the Hindu diaspora, which was hardly there at the time. So there is this new search for identity, and there is a new understanding and respect for the Hindu tradition. For example, the very political parties that were always anti-Hindu and would never call themselves Hindu, are now also saying we are also Hindu. Oh yes, uh, allow, what it is. allow me to interrupt you on this one because the latest uh, tome to come out from card-carrying member of Congress party, the MP of Tiruvananthapuram, Shashi Tharoor has written why I am a Hindu. Yes. So your take on that, I mean I've read the book and I think it is uh, nonsense. Well, I have also read the book why I am a Hindu and it reminds me of Nehru's discovery of India. <laughs> and Nero wrote his discovery of India through the eyes of Western scholars, not through his own discovery of India. And he based his perception of India on Western philosophy and politics. So essentially, he never discovered India. And he never made a deep connection with figures like Vivekananda, Aurobindo, even going back to His own senior contemporary. Aurobindo was his contemporary. Yeah. Yeah, so that is, that is definitely uh, true. Mm -hmm. Now, Thoreau also uses his discovery or becoming why I am a Hindu actually to discredit other Hindus, particularly oh. those he calls Hindutva or those who are using Hinduism as a political expression or even, he would say, hijacking Hinduism for political causes. And some of these people tend to say that Hindus should have nothing to do with politics, mm -hmm. that Hinduism is something beyond politics, mm -hmm. But yet, where did the Ind who was the prime figure in the Indian independence movement was Mahatma Gandhi. He wore a loincloth. Uh, that's not a secular image. It isn't. He used the image of the Hindu sadhu. Mm -hmm. He used values like satyagraha, or even he interpreted them in slightly different ways. Mantras, all these things. So he used the image of the Hindu as the means of the independence movement and politics, and even the independence movement as a whole earlier, through Tilak, Aurobindo, Vande Matram, mm -hmm. had a strong Hindu influence. Mm -hmm. And traditionally speaking, the Hindu tradition has always had Brahma and Kshatra, Kshatriya Dharma, role and respect for uh, kings. So this idea of criticizing Hindus for being political is absurd. And I would still say today, I, I write this now today, that Hindus are the least politically active of any religious group in the world. Absolutely. And you can uh, see that overseas, you can see that in India also. So uh, the other point you mentioned in your uh, uh, you know, initial comments was uh, 
you know how hinduism has not only gained acceptance and recognition and some amount of regard as well but you have books like uh, i think the american veda which basically talks about you know how a lot of hindu practices in uh, america has been mainstream american culture have been imbibed uh, unknowingly and he meticulously documents what those are but then on the same uh, you know like a parallel development things like yoga pranayama the deeper meditation practices in the west more so in the us especially it has become so commercialized that it is almost impossible for a newcomer who to this field who wants to learn about these things who wants to study these things it's almost impossible to find out a starting point to that extent it has been disfigured it has been uh, uh, you know whatever all kinds of mischief has been done how do you look at this well first of all i've been involved with that whole process because i've been teaching yoga ayurveda jyotish throughout the western world with the united states europe russia south america so i've seen that firsthand we've tried to bring out authentic information on the uh, traditional uh, knowledge and also connect people to the hindu background of the teachings we have seen this commercialization and distortion at the same time the spiritual side of yoga and veda vedanta continues to grow and we've seen new things for example the current generation into this greater yoga ayurveda Vedic field in the Western world now has kirtan, puja, mm-hmm. bhakti fest, mm-hmm. and respect still for a lot of the great gurus of India. Mm-hmm. It's not the dominant asana model in the outer commercial sense, but it's, it is very much there. Mm-hmm. Now that commercialization and expropriation is also happening, particularly when more certain, more intellectual types in the West. We need only girls of the well, world. Well, no, I mean also people who are who are in the yoga or Veda, or not even Vedanta, Buddhism, okay, Vedanta, okay, okay. decide that they need to westernize, mm-hmm. modernize, or intellectualize these traditions. And what I've noticed is a lot of these exponents uh, tend then to fall back into Western thought and then reinterpret yoga, Vedanta, try to make it politically correct, mm-hmm. as if the politics or the political correctness transcended any higher consciousness or higher value and then judge the practitioners by their political correctness according to current political trends rather than according to the actual deeper teachings and realizations so on a related note there are uh, you know whatever new age people gurus doctors like deepak chopra who do a you know i don't know what to call it shrewd clever uh, you know twisting of both quantum whatever concepts and yoga and our indian practice of indian spirituality how do you reconcile that yes we've also seen that in fact the other thing that's very interesting is the yoga vedanta even buddhism ayurveda has very much impacted the healing the medicine and the psychology in the western world so what happens is people in the west want to take up these practices for their personal benefit but they don't really understand the cultural connections and their teachers may not tell them that so they may not know it's part of the hindu tradition they may not know the broader connections what maharishi mahesh yogi did which deepak also follows mm-hmm. is they tried to put out a model of vedic knowledge where you have yoga where you have ayurveda yoga vedanta jyotish etc which is fine but they didn't bring out so much the hindu or the 
uh, Indian background uh, to it. And the problem is in the West that Hinduism is still distorted a lot, particularly in the educational uh, system. So when they see a very negatively, politically incorrect model of Hindus, they say, we don't want to be that. So a lot of the gurus, instead of explaining what Hindu Dharma truly is, they avoid it and then say, okay, I'm the guru, this is the tradition, it goes to us, don't worry about anything but uh, what we're giving you. Uh, so basically you're caught, Hindus are caught in a bind because that is another very clever slate of hand that, uh, you know, the critics do in the sense that, okay, you're saying that Hinduism is not political, it shouldn't be political. In the same breath, they will also say, do you claim to be the only spokesperson for Hinduism? Given an extremely pluralistic and accommodative and highly inclusive system like Sanatana Dharma, when this is brought into the mainstream realm of this mainstream political thought or different tactics, ideological tactics to either push you into a corner or box you somewhere or bait you in many forms, how important is it or how relevant is it in today's context that okay I am the spokesperson of for Hinduism like for example there are a lot of people who criticize the RSS the VHP various Hindu organizing you are not the custodians of Hinduism or some other even genuine gurus and uh, Swamiji's they say that who are you are you the authority on Hinduism so when this is a big problem in India itself I can only imagine what I mean, dimensions it has taken in the U.S. Well, you have to understand what I would always tell people, the, the people who should be regarded as authorities on the Hindu Dharma are those who practice it and teach it and follow it. The problem is a lot of the people writing books on the Hindu Dharma are not Hindus. They're anti-Hindus. They may be Christians. They may be Marxists. So that they're giving what we say is an outside the tradition view. In the books and teachings that I have, I emphasize an inside the tradition view or a practitioner view. And the point I raise is very simple, is that you have all the outside tradition views of Hinduism. You have inside the tradition views of Christianity and Islam. Absolutely. So you need an inside the view, tradition view of Hinduism just by a point of view of balance. Whether you agree with it or not, it needs to be there. And someone has to speak for the Hindu Dharma. And we can also go back to the text. For example, karma, moksha, all these things are there. You can't say Hinduism doesn't uh, include that. I would never say that one person or myself, we are the sole spokespersons of Hindu dharma, but we are giving a more inside the tradition, practitioner-based alternative. And we're not simply defending the Hindu dharma. We're expanding it. Uh, we are making it relevant. Uh, we are showing its universality, and we are also critiquing the other points of view because the Hindu Dharma is the great civilizational heritage of India, Bharat, and it is a vast system of different philosophies and spiritualities and ways of higher consciousness and self-realization. So it presents us with a different view of ourselves, reality, and the universe, it is not just simply an academic discussion within politics or academia in terms of the Western civilizational model that predominates today. Right. My penultimate question. Uh, 
you have one of the, my favorite chapters in the book is the one uh, where you analyze Ram Swarup's exposition of essentially Islam and uh, in the current context uh, is there any scholar of that caliber or is there a atmosphere or a climate where such scholars can emerge how do you see the broad landscape that's well, the question in the indian context there are scholars arising even the writings you do uh, who are examining uh, these issues in fact in india we have a new generation of writers that are from a more hindu background okay doing much better work mm -hmm. we have the social media and all of that in western academia you don't have really much of that and there's always the avoidance of looking at religion in terms of states of consciousness. Mm -hmm. There's a general acceptance of faith, uh, that you're, 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 the religion is a faith. Uh, religion or true spirituality is a way of knowledge. Veda, Vidya, Hindu tradition emphasizes knowledge. So then theology matters. There are states of consciousness and the question then arises, are these religious experiences that people have all of the same level of consciousness, are they higher, are they lower, are some in fact states of illusion or delusion, even though they have some strong emotion or sentiment to it. So this psychological, spiritual examination of religion is only there in the yogic text, and specifically Ram Swarup made it relevant to critiquing religions as a whole, which the world wants to avoid because it's politically incorrect to question someone else's faith at this point, and politically incorrect to question the validity of certain religions. It seems that only the Hindus are being questioned or analyzed That's exactly by my the point. psychologists. Yeah. But the psychologists in the West who are analyzing Hinduism are Freudians who know nothing of higher consciousness, or as we say, they're still caught in the lower two chakras they don't understand what is beyond, and they have no concept of Atma. They're basically caught in physical reality, trying to judge a tradition that extends to the highest level of consciousness, even transcending time and space. Absolutely. And my last question, uh, one of my favorite chapters again, on uh, drawn from two of your different books. This is the last chapter of this book, An American Discovers the Vedas and how I became a Hindu, the last chapter, it's pretty moving. So if you can summarize for that, we can close on that note. The American discovers it. An American discovers it. Well, in my case, it's all, everything has happened intuitively, spontaneously, coincidentally. Mm -hmm. And uh, strangely enough, when I began studying yoga, all those things, something drew me first to Vedanta and Shankara, starting with other teachers like Yogananda and yoga practices and then through Aurobindo into Vedas. But because I had a more intuitive mind, I, had a, I understood when the Vedas were talking about Agni, they weren't talking about a fire. Fire, yeah. That there's Chit Agni, mm. Brahm Agni, Pran Agni. Agni is the light energy, intelligence, consciousness force behind the universe. The Jivatma, the individual soul, is the Agni within us. Paramatma is the transcendent uh, Agni. So somehow I was able to make that leap of, I hope, understanding rather than faith and have a sense of the deeper meaning behind these teachings. On the other hand, the Advaita Vedanta is very logical and very clear and easy to understand even from a non-intuitive level. But it still tells us that we have to do the understanding of the teaching, 
we have to do the thinking, the manana, and we have to do the deep meditation about the teaching. Because the Hindu Dharma is teaching us how to evolve and grow in consciousness. So rise Arjuna is also about awakening that inner being within us, but also recognizing that that inner being needs to express itself in the outer world as well. We cannot let the negative forces have the world because simply we're spiritual. It doesn't work that way. And in the modern world, we need that. We Arjuna. need that even more. Yeah, and the Arjuna is we need to speak, we need to teach, we need to bring the knowledge out, we need to critique the negative forces and also expose the basic uh, hypocrisy because the other systems of thought are not based upon a higher consciousness. They're caught in physical reality. Even in Islam and Christianity, heaven is a physical world. It's a glorified physical world. There's not this idea of being able to move beyond time, space, and karma and move into the greater universe and even into the transcendent. That is the deeper teaching of the Dharmic traditions and the promotion of ways of meditation over any type of faith or belief. Ultimately, you must go beyond belief to the direct perception of truth, but we have to bring that truth into humanity or humanity today will fall into the influence of all the commerciality belief systems, I enjoyment think, systems, I think, lose uh, its I think, sorry to cut you, I think essentially one, uh, you know, uh, quick way of showing the fundamental difference between, uh, you know, Abrahamic uh, faiths and uh, Hinduism is to look at their attitude towards nature. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. So, from that, uh, you know, we can use that as a starting point to, uh, you know, examine these belief systems essentially. Yes. For example, the Hindu sacred sites are all in nature. Ganga, Kailas, the sacred sites in Christianity or Islam are based upon some person having been there. Jesus was there, Moses was there, Muhammad was there. And nature is put on the outside of God. God controls nature. In this Hindu tradition, uh, the universe is one consciousness. It is within us and we have the connection with the whole. So essentially these uh, Abrahamic traditions are more political belief systems in the guise of religion and because they're caught in physical reality their way of religious growth is to convert or to conquer not to change one's own awareness. Right. I think on that note uh, uh, we can conclude this uh, you know really illuminating uh, discussion conversation with uh, the one and only Pandit Mamadeva Shastri and uh, uh, I urge everybody to definitely buy and read and reread and reread Arise Arjuna. Thank you.